So today we're going to be looking at Romans. We're still in Romans, chapter 13. Next week, Jim is starting uh, the Christmas series, as Evan mentioned. So today we're looking at the beginning of Romans, chapter 13. So if you're willing and able, if you'd stand with me as we read the passage together. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. (laughs) Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. This is God's word. You may be seated. We just finished Romans chapter 12. Hence, that's why we're in Romans chapter 13. And we were in Romans chapter 12 for many weeks. And going back, if you kind of look back kind of of all the sermons that we've had so far, we had a lot of uh, sermons on Romans chapter 8 as well. And, you know, those two chapters, when you talk to people, I've uh, I've encountered people that they go, oh, this is my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. Or that's my favorite chapter in the whole, Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 12. I have never encountered anyone that has told me that Romans chapter 13 was their favorite chapter. Uh, And if it happens to be yours, we can talk afterward because... I'd be curious to hear your story. So there's a few things that Paul wants to get clear straight from the beginning. Straight from the beginning. And so there's, there's a few things that we have to set down. Is that he says here in the beginning, it says, let every person. So I was kind of curious what the every person means, right? So I did a little study, I did some, some research, and I found out that every person means... Every person. Yes, every person. It actually goes a little bit deeper than that in in the sense that it means every soul. Every soul. there There is an eternal element to what Paul is telling us here. To every soul. Not just every person, every soul. Everything that has life. Everything that's going to live forever. It's for everyone. And then here it talks about the governing authorities. You know, and you come across in Scripture, there are things that talk about, you know, there's authorities and powers and principalities and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, it's like, well, let's look at this. What are we talking about here with these governing authorities? What does governing authorities mean? Well, it means the governing authorities, right? The government. That's what we're talking about. And here it says that the government has been instituted... And, you know, another word for instance, it's been instituted, it's been ordained, it's been assigned by God. The government. All governments have been set up by God. It's the good ones and the bad ones. 
the democratic ones and the communist ones, the monarchy, the republic, whatever forms are out there, that the government has been set up by God. And then it says that we as Christians are called to be subject to our government. That we're to place ourselves under submission to the government. Uh, if you look at Eugene Peterson's translation of the message, this one, he starts Romans chapter 13 off with just this very simple phrase that says, Be good citizens. Be good citizens. And right now, you, you might be thinking, just as I did, you know, as, you're, as I was preparing this sermon, where I go, but Paul, you don't know my government. You, you, you have no idea about my government. You know, we've got local government, right? We've got the state government. We've got the federal government, right? We've got, you know, there's taxes on everything. That, well, we don't have state income tax here, but we've got the property taxes, and we've got sales tax, and we've got the federal taxes, and we've got social security, all sorts of things that come out of our paycheck. And you don't even know, Paul, some of those taxes are used probably for some immoral purposes. You don't even know. I don't even know where all my money goes. You just, you just don't understand, Paul. And whenever you're talking about government, right, we get into the realm of politics. And I don't want to get too political here, but I remember from our last presidential election, right, we had our two primary candidates, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And you've got some people that are diehard supporters on each side, right? But one of the common phrases that I remember hearing from people as they were talking about voting is that I feel that I have to choose between a lesser of two evils. It was a common phrase that I heard. And President Trump won the election. And one of the common phrases that I then saw on bumper stickers and on Facebook and other places was this big slogan that says, Not my president. In Paul's day, they wouldn't have had bumper stickers on their carriages, right? That said, Not my president. It would have said, Not my emperor. Not, not my emperor. Because when Paul's writing this letter, Nero is the emperor of Rome. Nero, his, at this point, yeah, when Paul's writing this letter, if we, if we did a little historical study, Nero hasn't gotten too crazy just yet towards Christians. Just yet. But Nero would be one of the first emperors to persecute the church. Claudius, before him, expelled some Jews and Christians from Rome in 49 AD. So there had already been some persecution brewing, like, let's just get them out of here. Rome was the occupying force of Israel at this time. This is an occupying... You know, Paul's in a, in a weird boat because he's a Roman citizen and he's an Israelite. But this is the occupying force of Israel. This is not our government that's come in here and that's establishing these rules and this law. These laws, these are people that have taken over and conquered and gone expanded farther and farther and farther and have imposed their rules and their laws. And this is where I go, I think Paul would say that we're spoiled. You know, we have a separation of powers. We have checks and balances. We have courts. We have bills. We have laws. We have... Repeals processes and appeals processes. We have petitioning, right? And we can vote. We're given so 
so much. So, so much. Paul doesn't know my government. He knew his. He'd been in prison numerous times. And then in verse 2 it says, Therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And for those who resist will incur judgment. So this resisting the government, it's opposing the government, right? It's, going, it's doing battle against the government. And if you do that, you're going to incur judgment. This doesn't seem like a very deep theological point, does it? Like we see this, you know, play out in, in life. Later in verse 7, he kind of goes through this list of, you know, you pay your taxes to whom your taxes are owed. You pay revenue to revenue, respect and honor. You pay this forward. What happens if you don't pay your taxes? Right? The IRS is coming for you. They are going to get their money. And if they can't get it, what are they going to do? They're going to garnish your wages. They don't want to throw you in prison because you don't make a lot of money in prison. And you owe them money. Maybe it gets to that point. I don't know. What happens if you don't pay your bills? What happens if you don't pay your credit card that you just racked up $6,000 on Black Friday buying all sorts of stuff? What happens if you disrespect the judge in court? What happens if you go 60 miles an hour in the 30 zone? And what happens if you murder someone? You will incur judgment. And we could go on and on and on, couldn't we? Like there's, there's laws that I'm sure that are on the books for us here at the local and state level that we have no idea. It's always kind of fun when you like Google like old laws that are still laws and you read those lists. Something to kill time sometime. There's lots of them. And in verse 3 through 4 it says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Rulers are to be a terror to bad conduct, not to good. So he says if you don't want to be afraid, there's a simple solution to this. If you don't want to live in fear of the government, you just do what is right. You do what is good. I uh, grew up in California. I learned to drive in California. And we all drive fast in California. And I did an experiment once. I, I drove fast all the time. You know, It's one of those things where you kind of have to keep up with the, the speed of the other cars on the road. Otherwise, you know, so if everyone's going you know, 85 on the freeway and I'm driving the speed limit at 65, I'm a liability. Because now I'm this slow-moving rock in the middle of this stream of speed. So I have to speed. Have to speed. Completely justified. You all agree, correct? Thank you. All right. So, you know, so you're driving this, this, this way above the speed limit all the time. And I was noticing when I was going places in California and the Bay Area where I grew up, driving around, like, I felt like every once in a while, like, I don't know if you experience it while you're driving on the road. I haven't too much around here because it's so peaceful here. Uh, my blood pressure would just go up. And like I'd get to, you know, I'd go on a long drive and I'd get there and I'd just have a killer headache. And, you know, like borderline like road rage situations, right? 
where you're just like, man, this is, I can't do this. So I felt compelled by the Spirit, not the CHP, uh, when that's the California Highway Patrol, that would be the state troopers here. Uh, I was compelled by the Spirit that I should slow down, drive the speed limit. And you know what happened when I, I started driving around, like driving at the speed limit? I didn't experience those things anymore. Because I wasn't worried when I saw the police car in my rearview mirror that he was coming for me. Or you saw that trooper that was sitting on the side of the freeway. I had that experience just the other night coming home from work. I was driving down Martin Way and I was driving down Martin Way and all of a sudden I drive past and the sheriff is there and they're sneakily parked you know, off to the side so you can't see them until it's too late. And I drove past him and so you know, what do you do when you see a police officer on the road when you're driving? What's the first thing you do? You hit the brakes, you slow down a little bit and you check the speedometer. And so I hit my brakes a little bit and I look down and it says 40 miles an hour and I'm just like, shoot, he's pulling me over. Until I remember, I was like, wait a minute, the speed limit on this road is 40, not 35. I thought I was doing five miles an hour over. I was like, whew, he didn't pull me over. Because I was driving the speed limit. Do what is good, and we do not have to fear the governing authorities. Because the governing authorities do not bear the sword in vain. They don't bear the ticket in vain. They don't bear the restraining order in vain, or the penal system in vain, or capital punishment in vain. And maybe you're like myself as you're reading this where I go, but, but Paul, but Paul, what if governments don't operate like that? What if governments are a terror to those that do good? What if there are laws that are put into place that contradict God's laws? Or what we know to be right, what God has what God has said. What do we do? Well, one thing that is clear from the passage is that if God has instituted the and the governments act in his power, one thing that is clear is that God will judge the government. God will judge leaders. Last week uh, Jim talked about the end of Romans chapter 12 and, and talking about vengeance. And listening to it, I, just, I was reminded how much I like to appoint myself as judge, jury, and executioner, right? I like to make the verdicts and decide what's what. It's very easy to judge people that are in politics, is it not? We all make judgments of them. We all make them right here, right now, real quick. And we've made up our mind. But if... The governing authorities, whether they wanted to be or not, have been instituted by God. They will be held accountable to God for their decisions, for the laws that they pass, and the things that they institute, whether they believe in God or not. It's one of these why we should pray for our leaders. He's going to judge them. So what do, what do we do then as, as Christians if, if we're kind of getting into this worst case scenario where you just feel like, man, the government, like, No. And one of the things that we can do is we call them out on it. And this, this calling them out on it is a biblical model of what I've seen in Scripture. If you go through the Old Testament, I've been listening through the Old Testament chronologically. And uh, 
if, if you're listening to it, one of the things that just is a very common theme over and over and over again is that Israel, God's people, would, you'd see this repeated phrase all the time, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then God would send a prophet, God would send a judge, he'd send someone to call the people back to him, and the people would return to him, and then like 40 years later, 80 years later, some variable amount of time later, what did the people do again? They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And most often time, this wasn't just the people, it was the king as well. It's not like the king was like, man, I'm rolling it good here, and I'm perfect God, these people you gave me are just like horrible. And I'm sitting here all just fine and dandy. No, the kings were in it too. Leadership was in it too. The government was in it too. And God sent his prophets and people to call out the truth. Call the people to repentance. Jesus, when he came in his earthly ministry, who did he call out? The religious leaders. The leaders of Israel. The leaders of the church. I find it interesting that he wasn't going around calling out the Roman government, really. He was concerned with his people. He was concerned with those that claimed to be the leaders of God's people. We have that ability with our leaders. We can message them. We can call them. We can email them. We can, you know, if we, if we really don't like them, we vote for someone else, right? If we don't like the decisions you're making... I'm going to get a bunch of people inside with this other person over here and we're going to vote for them. Let's get this other person elected. But what if we get into the really worst case scenario? Like Jim talked about last week in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Sometimes it might be possible, might not be possible to live peaceably. Sometimes there might be an an opportunity when the laws of the land and the laws of the governing authorities conflict with what God says. And that's when we'll have a choice. If we go back to Matthew, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Jesus is, is, is asked a question, the Pharisees and and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, were always sent to try to ask Jesus questions and trip him up and to kind of put him in a pickle, put him in a bind. And so they came with this question, because at the same time, Rome is still occupying Israel at this point. They've been occupied by an invading country. And it says in verse 13, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees, and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Man, they're trying to butter him up. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, 
and to God the things that are God's. Because if he had said, don't pay your taxes to Caesar, one, that would not be in line with what Scripture tells us. You should pay your taxes. But if he said that, the people would just be, or if he said, don't pay your taxes, then, you know, they'd have the, they take it to the religious authorities, they take it to the Roman government. This guy's trying to start rebellion. He's saying, no, don't pay taxes. So Jesus couldn't say that. And if he said, yeah, you should pay your taxes, then they'd take that to the people. Who likes being told that you've got to pay your taxes, right? You know, incite some, some rebellion and some angst and some, some people against Jesus. So, but then at the third, kind of the third thing, it's kind of his threefold answer. He avoids the opposite ends of the spectrum of how the people are going to react, but he still answers the question. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give to Caesar what is owed to Caesar. But give to God the things that are owed to God. And when the two come against each other, who do we choose? God is the one that we should be worried about. God is the one that we should be concerned about. And this is where we get into verse 5. It says, Therefore, therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Paul brings us back again to the subjection and bringing ourselves under the governing authorities, but with a little bit of a twist. He talks about not only are we supposed to avoid punishment as our motivation, because I think that's most people's motivations, right? Why do I obey the laws? Because I don't want to be punished. I don't want punishment. But we're to avoid punishment. The believers are supposed to avoid punishment for the sake of conscience for the sake of conscience that we should act in a manner of conscience and this this reminds me of when I was young like I grew up in the church and when I was young I was a very well behaved Christian boy and you know why I was a well behaved Christian boy because I didn't like punishment and apparently I wasn't very good at doing things wrong because I always got caught so I'd always get caught and then I'd always get punishment. So I decided I'm not going to do anything wrong because I don't want punishment. I don't like punishment. It wasn't for me until I was in my middle school years that I realized I shouldn't be good because I'm afraid of punishment. That I should be good because I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. More and more like my Savior. And that's what he's talking about here is that we live a life in a manner where the Holy Spirit, Paul's just been talking about living a life filled by the Spirit, we live a life by the Spirit where our soul, from the inside out, we have the ability to distinguish between what is morally good and what is morally wrong. And this verse was, chapter five, or verse 5, this is where, like as I was preparing for this week, like this was where it hit home for me very, very hard. What is my motivation for things? For dealing with the government? For, for speeding? We were, we were driving the other day, uh, you know, and it was one of the things I knew I wasn't going to catch the light. You know, and I'm like, well, you know, I could kind of turn, turn into the Walgreens and cut through the parking lot. We'll get there a little quicker. What's my motivation in doing that? I want to get there faster. I don't want to wait as much. Who cares if I'm maybe going a little fast through the parking lot and not going to any of the businesses that are there and I'm just cutting through? It's not safe. 
what are, the, what are my motivations? Is it because I'm doing it because it's right? Because in simple terms, we subject ourselves to the government, not because we're afraid of punishment, but because we know it's right. Because we know it's right. And then he says in verse 6, For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. The government are ministers of God. So you should pay taxes to them. That's pretty straightforward. There's a repeated phrase there when it's talking about the taxes and the revenue and the respect and the honor, right? It's what is owed. If I owe you something, do I have a choice to give it to you? You merit it by some reason. Taxes by being a government, revenue because I owe you money, I don't know, right? But it's owed. And all these things that we pay gratefully because of our conscience. I was just thinking about this because Paul is almost, he's comparing this to you paying your taxes to the government almost in the same light as you giving financially to the church. God's going to be ministering to the government so you pay your taxes. I don't know about you guys, where the end of the year is coming. Evan was mentioned about the you know, end of year financial giving because you know, once this year is over, the tax year is over, right? We're going to have to do taxes. And I don't know how you guys react at tax time, whether you use TurboTax or you go to H&R Block or you have a tax professional if you're, if you're to that level. I don't know. Maybe you could still do yours by paper. I don't know what that looks like. But I was thinking about that. <laughs> When I'm doing my taxes, well, I, you know, Scripture says that God loves a cheerful giver. Will I have that same approach, that same mentality when it comes to tax time? Will I be a cheerful giver if I find out that I didn't quite pay enough throughout the year and I owe the federal government some money? Because I don't know about you guys, I try to play for that zero mark. You know, I don't want a bunch of money back at tax time, but I don't want to pay anything either. I want it to be like $100 swing either way. That's my goal for when I do taxes and when I adjust things throughout the year. But when I find out that I owe them an extra 1000 bucks, well, I'd be a cheerful giver in that. And he says to give revenue to whom revenue is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. And respect to whom respect is owed. I find it funny, we were talking... Uh, <laughs> My wife was reading a book about the 12 days of Christmas to my, her daughter. And uh, she was learning a lot of new things. I think she even learned what adultery was. And she's seven. And, uh, but one of the things that we were, she was learning about was the Ten Commandments. Because apparently that's one of the things that is in the 12 days of Christmas if you look into the history of the song. And we were talking about it. Whenever you're talking about the Ten Commandments with your kids, there's like the number one one that you want to focus on, right? Honor your father and your mother. That's a good one for your kids, right? I want you to honor your father and your mother. And 
Honoring your father and your mother is one of the greatest ways that children, not just children, but talking about children, have an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus into action. To put it to the test. Will they honor their father and mother? That doesn't end when you become an adult. It just looks different. And as we get older, we have to honor the government. Might be a little more difficult. And one of the things that just really stood out to me this week as I was preparing this and looking at this, is Paul was talking about to the, every soul, every person, speaking to the eternal nature, one of the things that Paul is preparing us for is kingdom living. He's preparing us for kingdom living. What will it look like to live and be a part of God's kingdom? Where we will honor the king. We will respect the king. We will give him everything he's owed. Everything. He's preparing us for that. And we as Christians get to walk around now demonstrating what life will be like in the kingdom for everybody else to see. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your words that you spoke through Paul. That you spoke through Paul and had them written down for us. Father, submitting myself to the governing authorities is never something that I think of as like, yes, this is something awesome that I want to do. Submission is difficult. Submission... (laughs) to government, submission to your spouse, submission to, to each other, submission to anyone else. Father, I ask that you'd help us to be a people that are submissive to you and that are submissive to your words and your teaching and that we give honor and respect to those that are at Zod. And Father, that we would set a good example of what it's like to be members of your kingdom and that people would see that. Father, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.